second reading for tonight is Ruth chapter 2. And on my pew Bible, it's on page 258. So I hope it is the same for yours. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law.
Well, friends, uh, we are looking at the book of Ruth. Last week we started chapter one, and I uh, invited all of you to read ahead. So hopefully, you, many of you have read that story before this evening. Um, one of our youth uh, sent me an email about her reading and what she thought about it, and that was really good to read and encouraging that you have been reading ahead. So read ahead for next week, chapter 3 next week, and then a week after, chapter 4. Um, I also received a text from one of uh, the members here of a joke I could use for this talk. Um, I couldn't work it into my talk, so I'll give it to you first before we start. And the joke is, um, why did Ruth like Boaz? And it is meant to be funny. <laughs> Boaz was outstanding in his field. <laughs> well, it sort of worked. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, another comment I received about the reading of Chapter 2 was it's a bit like a romance novel. But I wonder whether there's more than all of that tonight. And of course, this is God's word to us. So let's uh, turn to God once again, asking him for his help. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and to your word, knowing that you do speak to us today through your word. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll help us understand how you have worked in history and how you continue to work today. And we pray that you'll give us this insight today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard or used the idiom or common saying, good luck. Heard of that? Good luck or wishing you the best of luck. Now, when do we say this? Well, we say this to students just before their exam, as they walk in, good luck. Or we say this uh, before a job interview, before you go, good luck. Or we say this to some people before they get married, good luck with your new wife. And so we say these type of things, don't we? <laughs> or husband, anyway. <laughs> but why do people say that? Good luck, how fortunate, wishing you the best of luck. Well, many people in our world believe in luck, that that is how the world turns. And so consider some of these examples, these quotes. The universe works in crazy ways. Your good luck will come in waves, and so does your bad. So you have to take the good with the bad and press forward. What do you think about that? Is that how you make sense of life? Is that what you believe? Well, what about this quote? We need luck every second of your life. You don't have to rely on it, but you have to have it because if you don't have luck, your life is just black and white, but luck brings every other colour to your life, in your life. What do you think about that? Sounds nice and warm and fuzzy, but do you actually believe that? Or what about this quote? We were all born with luck. But not all of us have discovered it. I wanted to wish you good luck on finding your luck. I mean, what do you think of a statement like that? Do you, in fact, believe it? Well, many people, in fact, believes, believe that this is how life works, that there is good luck and then there, is, there are bad luck. There's sheer coincidence. There are, there are things that happen by chance. But I wonder tonight what you believe what you personally believe do things happen by chance by pure luck by sheer coincidence you see what you believe about that about luck reveals what you in fact believe about god 
And so tonight, as we continue in the story of Ruth, we will see these things. We will explore these things. So what have we seen so far in the book of Ruth? Well, last week, we saw that things have got from bad to worse for this seemingly ordinary family. There was a famine, and then they left as refugees to a foreign land. Elimelech, the father, he dies, and then his two sons die as well. And they leave three hopeless, futureless, childless widows. And so things, by the end of the chapter, could not be any worse. But remember, do you remember how that chapter ended? Chapter 1, the last verse. There was a, a little glimmer of hope. It was the beginning of the barley harvest. And so that left us in anticipation. What's going to happen in chapter 2? And so tonight in our chapter, things seem to have taken a turn for the better. Everything just seems to have fallen into place. At the right time, in the right company, things seem to have gone right finally. But was it all mere chance? Sheer coincidence? Pure luck that they experienced what they did that day. Well, it certainly does seem like a lucky day. Let's have a look at it. This family experienced 10 years of hardship, of pain, of sorrow, of heartbreaking life. But now that all seems to have turned, and now they have this lucky day or so, it seems. And so what happened? So let's go through the story. Naomi and Ruth, they've returned to Bethlehem, the hometown of Naomi, Nothing left for them back in Moab. But now notice in verse 2. So if you have your Bibles open, verse 2, how Ruth is introduced. She's here called a Moabitess. You see, that is to remind us, she's not called Ruth, but a Moabitess. That's to remind us that she's an unwelcomed foreigner in Israel. And so we're expecting that life's not going to be good for this refugee from Moab. And then look at verse 2. Look at what she says to Noah, Naomi. She says, Well, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Now, why did she say such a thing? What a strange idea, to go and pick up leftover grain. Why did she say that? Well, you see, in the laws of Moses, in Leviticus, provision is made for landowners, for those who own land, to care for the poor, the widows, the fatherless, the foreigners in the land. And so when landowners and their harvesters, when they reap their harvest, they were not to reap to the edge of their field. They were meant to leave the edge of their field for the poor to harvest. And more than that, whatever gleanings, that is the leftover stuff from the harvest that fall on the ground, they were not allowed to go back to pick them up. They were left for the poor. And so in one sense, that was the law in the ancient world, in the land of Israel. It was the ancient world's version of the welfare system. And so Ruth, she goes off and she gleans the field behind the harvesters. She follows behind them. They're harvesting and whatever's dropped on the floor, she picks them up. And she happened to be gleaning in the field belonging to this man, Boaz. And we read of Boaz, he was related to Ruth. He was from the clan of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Now, wasn't she lucky that day just to end up in the field of Boaz? Out of all the fields she could have gleaned from, she so happened to end up 
gleaning from Boaz's field. But you see, that lucky day was only beginning. Not only was Boaz a man of standing, a man of noble character, he happened to visit that field that day. He just happened to go there that day. And so he, when he went to the field, he inquired of his foreman. Verse 5, have a look. Whose young woman is that? Now notice how the foreman replied. He doesn't even give her a name, but calls her the Moabitess. That is to remind him, beyond doubt, that that woman was a foreigner. Now what did Boaz say to Ruth? Look at verse 8 now. He says, my daughter. That's to give us an indication of the age difference. He says, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are, whenever you are thirsty, go and drink from the water jars the men have filled. And so when you read that, you think, what a nice man this Boaz was. I mean, he's making provisions for her. He's freely giving her access to the field without any fear of abuse. Now, isn't that just me coincidence? Ruth ends up gleaning in which field? Whose field? Boaz's field, who was such a nice guy, who in fact happens to also be a distant relative. It all seems so coincidental, just a lucky day. And so in one sense, uh, Ruth can't believe her luck. She bowed down and she asked Boaz, look at verse 10 now, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And so you can sort of sense the, the shock she's feeling, this good, generous treatment that she is receiving. But then the lucky day continues. There's more. Not only was Boaz a distant relative, not only was he a really nice guy, he's in fact already heard about Ruth. Coincidental. He already heard about Ruth and knows about her loyalty to Naomi, leaving her own father and mother and sticking to Naomi to be now a foreigner in this land. Now, was that sheer coincidence that he already knew about her before he met her? Pure luck? But, but it continues, doesn't it, this lucky day? At mealtime, what happened? Ruth was invited to eat with Boaz, the boss, the owner. And more than that, Boaz now does something that no landowner in his right mind would do if he is interested in his own profit margin, in his bottom line. You see what he gets his men to do? He got his men to purposely take out the stalks, that is the stuff, the bundles that were already harvested, and to drop it intentionally so that she would pick it up. I mean, the, the law was if you drop anything, you can't pick it back up. And so she got, he got his men to drop it so that she could pick it up. And so what that meant was that Ruth was not just picking up the scraps. She was picking up the good stuff already harvested. And so what a day that was turning out for Ruth. Now, by the end of the day, the amount of barley she gathered, we're told here, was an ephah, which is about 22 litres worth of barley, a lot. And that's in addition to the leftover she received from lunch. And so she got home, spoke to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and to the surprise of Naomi, that was just the first day, she was so surprised. Who was this generous man? Who showed such kindness? And then when she was informed that this was Boaz, Naomi, in greater shock, 
realizes this is one of the kinsman redeemer kinsman redeemer that's a theme we'll explore more next week but what that means is that he's a close enough relative with the privilege and the responsibility of redeeming land that was lost in the family from the clan and so he has the responsibility responsibility of redeeming the land of the deceased Elimelech and also to give an heir to Elimelech that was his responsibility being a kinsman redeemer and so this day a lucky day started off without much hope but now by the end of the day it couldn't get any better it was a lucky day wasn't it so many events just working together making it such a good day for ruth but was it a lucky day at all did chance have anything to do with it all you know ruth just happened to be gleaning in the field of boaz boaz just happened to turn up that day boaz happened to turn out to be a really nice guy and more than that boaz happened to have already heard about ruth and more than that boaz happened to be the family's kinsman redeemer i mean it was all that sheer coincidence you know they had 10 years of bad luck but now good luck begins is that how we're meant to read it well you see the book of ruth was masterfully written to show that there was no chance that it was by chance at all you see luck had nothing to do with it all and there are clues in our story did you pick that up there are clues in there that it was not by chance you see just like in the first chapter what we saw last week where we saw the unseen hand of god was at work bringing about his purposes through all the messiness and the pain and the sorrow and heartache of life god was working when things are bad god was working but here the unseen hand of god was also at work in bringing about his purposes through the blessings of life when bad stuff happens god's working when good stuff happens god is working you see god was masterfully working behind the scenes in the deeds of faithful people like ruth naomi and boaz and god was using them to bring about his purposes to bless even without them knowing you see there's no coincidence to all of this at all it wasn't a lucky day for ruth but it was a god ordained day just like every single other day the blessings she experienced were the blessings from almighty god now, now that's a big topic to try to grasp and understand the sovereignty of god when i was a younger christian and i was growing and trying to grapple with the doctrine of the sovereignty of god i only came across this topic this this doctrine this truth when i uh, got to university it's very difficult to understand and it's still quite hard in fact in my final year of bible college i did my final year thesis on the sovereignty of god i mean big questions aren't they how is it possible that god could direct all the finer details of life how is that possible how is it possible that god could be in that much control how is that possible how is it possible that god remains sovereign all the time but yet at the same time we are free to choose we are responsible for our actions how is that possible how is that tension held together but yet the more and more i read of the bible and coming across verses like this in isaiah 
I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. And then reading Ephesians chapter 1, 1 Peter, Romans 9, the Proverbs, over and over and over again, you see in the Scriptures, God is sovereign over all the affairs of life. That is a big idea. That is a big truth. That is a big doctrine. God is sovereign over all the affairs of life. And that's what the Scriptures revealed. God is always completely in control. God is always completely sovereign. And so when you come to understand this, you come to understand and see that luck and chance really have nothing to do with life at all. Nothing to do with life at all. Luck and chance. The fact that God remains sovereign all the time, if you understand that, it in fact becomes quite liberating for how you live because you're not afraid of bad luck happening to you. Now, I remember when we got married some 13 years ago. There were a lot of superstitious things we were told to do or not to do. You see, we're from a culture where many believe in superstitious stuff, bad luck, good luck, do this, don't do that. And so when we were deciding to get married and planning our wedding date, uh, we were deciding on when to get married. And so we decided on getting married in August. And our reasoning was quite silly and childish, but the reasoning was uh, we wanted to get married so that we're the same age. Yvonne is older than me, but we wanted to get married at the same age, not to an older woman. And so that's why we decided on August. But a silly reason, we decided that. And so we told a family, we're going to get married in August. And you know what we were told? Do not get married in August. And why? What's bad about August? What is it, winter? Is it winter, August? It's not that bad. And the reason was, in the Chinese calendar, in the lunar calendar, it was in fact the month of the ghosts. The, the month when the ghosts and the spirits are allowed to roam free. A bit like Halloween, but a whole month, and scary and freakier. And so we were told, it's unlucky. It will be bad for your marriage if you get married in August. And then we were told about other superstitious customs when we were planning to get married. We were told... You know, the, the threshold of the front door, just the bottom piece of wood. We're told, do not step on that when the bride leaves the home. Walk over that. Don't step on that. It will be bad luck. It will bring bad luck to your marriage. What do we do? Well, by this stage, we were Christians. We have come to understand the sovereignty of God. God is always completely in control. And what did we say? What did I say, in fact, to our family members? Well, I was a younger man bit more arrogant, more stubborn, not very sensitive. So this was how I put it. I do not recommend you saying this, but this was what I said. Because you told me not to get married in August, I will. <laughs> because you told me not to step on that, I will make Yvonne step on that purposely <laughs> to show that superstition backlog will have nothing to do with our marriage. I mean, I don't recommend saying that in that way, but that's what we said. That's what I said. But you see, if God is completely sovereign in bringing about his purposes. There's no need to fear things like luck, good luck, bad luck. Did you know that in many casinos, they do not have level 13? And in many casinos that attract a lot of the Asians, they don't have level 4 as well. Do you know that? And in many casinos, I don't know why I know about casinos, but <laughs> in many casinos, if the room number has an 8 on it, they're only left with a high rollers. It's all superstitious stuff. 
But anyway, in our passage, what we see is not luck, not coincidence, but God's sovereign hand working behind the scenes. Do you notice that in our passage? Do you notice in our passage how many times the word blessing is used? That blessing is because of God or is from God. Let me draw your attention to three of these verses. Firstly, verse 4. When Boaz arrived and greeted his harvesters, what did he say? Good day, mate. Hope you have a good day. Well, look at verse 4. He said, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Now, why did he say that? Well, because any blessings, any good things that you are to receive comes from God. And so Boaz was telling them, any good things you receive will only be from God. Now, Boeing, in saying that, was not aware that God was using him as an agent of blessing, even without him knowing. That's the first. Look at the second one in verse 12. This was when Boaz speaks to Ruth. What did he wish her? I wish you the best of luck? Well, well no. Look at verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Why did he say that? Because he knew that God is sovereign. Any blessings there are to be for you, Ruth, that is to come from God. Now the third one, look at verse 20. This was when Ruth reported the day to Naomi. What did Naomi say? What a nice man he was to treat you so kindly. Well, well no, look at verse 20. The Lord bless him, and he, that is the Lord, has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. You see, Naomi recognises that any blessings they are to receive, or Boaz is to receive, comes from God. So was it just a lucky day? Was it a lucky day at all? Sheer coincidence? Well, far from it. It was God in his sovereign kindness bringing about his sovereign purposes, his blessings, through what seems to us just like ordinary events. But no part of this meticulous day was left to chance. Nothing the Lord did came down to luck. It was God's sovereign control in all of that. And that should get us to reflect on our own lives as well when we think about this big topic of the sovereignty of God. It should get us to consider the blessings we enjoy. Where do they come from? The blessings that we experience, where do they come from? Well, they all come from this one God, his kindness to us, the sovereign hand of God. Now, let me share with you some of my experience in my, my life. In my second year of university, I had a massive car accident, terrible one. The car was a total write-off. I, I was being silly, so it was my fault. But I went around a roundabout a bit too quick. I didn't, yeah, a bit too quick because I didn't stop. But uh, I spun around, I did 360 degrees, um, and I hit a bus stop. The car was a total write-off, and, and I, uh, when I had the accident, there was a big gaping hole where the accelerator pedal was. No broken leg. I walked away with not even a scratch. Sheer coincidence? Pure luck? Well, no. 
It was the divine blessing of the sovereign God. Or a few years ago when we went to Bible college. Bible college up in Sydney, leaving our family here in Melbourne, up to Sydney for four years. Yvonne, by that time, already left work. Esther was born, so we went up to college with a one-year-old daughter. And so to leave, to study at Bible college, I had to leave my full-time job. Four years of no income, except what we received from the government, which was good and generous. But four years of no income. Caleb was born in our first year of Bible college. Ethan was born during our third year of Bible college. How do you survive with a growing family without income? Well, what happened was Yvonne was given three months maternity pay, not once, but twice for the two boys, for never returning to work. And then we discovered that there were anonymous financial support towards our rent and also my books. And then upon returning to Melbourne after four years, Yvonne was made redundant and given a package. How nice was that? Sheer coincidence? Pure luck? Well, no, it was the divine blessing of the sovereign God. He knew what we needed to survive. He provided, he sustained us, and he used his people to be a blessing to us so that we might survive and do what we did. Or another example. Now that I am here as your pastor, humbly as your pastor, working alongside you in the cause of the gospel, loving you and being loved by you, I mean, is that sheer coincidence? Is that pure luck that I just ended here? That you are here tonight? Oh, no. That is the divine blessing of the sovereign God. You see, God uses what seems ordinary in our life to bring about his purposes. As we love, as we serve, we are a blessing to one another. You see, it's always right, always right, when we experience and enjoy the good things of life, like new life, new birth, like what we heard this evening, like friendship, like marriage, like clothing, like food. These are things that we enjoy not because we deserve it, not because we work so hard. There are many people in the world who work so hard who do not get what we have. But these are things that come from the hand of the God who blesses. And so it is worth every once in a while just to reflect on how has God blessed me? How has God blessed you? And so what Naomi and Ruth enjoyed that first day of harvest, no sheer coincidence at all, not pure luck, but the divine blessing of the sovereign God. And so when you know that, if that then is the truth, that God is sovereign, like what we saw last week, he is sovereign in the pains, in the messiness, in the sorrows, in the heartaches of life, as we saw last week. And as we see in this passage, God is sovereign in the blessings of life. You see, nothing takes God by surprise. There are no accidents when it comes to God. There is no such thing as good or bad luck. What do you do then when you know that? What do you do then when you know that God is sovereign? Well, it's not enough to merely and just know that God is sovereign. Knowing that should cause us to respond appropriately to such a God, to such a sovereign God. And what is that response? 
How do you respond to such a sovereign God? But do you notice in our story, Ruth knew exactly what to do. Do you notice that? Boaz knew and realized what Ruth did. Do you notice that in our story? You know, just like last week, you know, we're peeling a layer of the onion and we're trying to see deeper into this story. Look at what happened at the very center of this story when Boaz was speaking to Ruth in verses 11 and 12. Let's have a look at that. Verse 11, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so why did Ruth leave the refuge of being home with her mother and her father and choose instead to align herself with a hopeless woman to be a refugee in a foreign land. Why would she do such a thing and make such a costly sacrifice? Why? Because that's a small price to pay to take refuge in the God of Israel. You see, that's what you do. If you know that God is sovereign over all that happens, good or bad, what do you do? How do you respond? Well, you take refuge in this God. Now, the image we're given here, the image of finding refuge under the wings of God, it's a picture where God, in a sense, has wings and protects his young from, from, from safety, keeps them safe from the elements, from predators, from judgment. That's the image we're meant to get, like a bird opening up, spreading out the wings. Now, a few years ago, there, there was this story that went around about a forest fire in the Yellowstone National Park. Park rangers went around to assess the damage of this fire, and one of the rangers noticed a burnt corpse of a bird on a nest. And so what he did was he got a stick, uh, uh, pushed a burnt uh, bird over, and what they found was three tiny chicks under the dead mother's wings. She would have spread out her wings to save her little chicks. Now, that was a story that went around a few years ago. It, it may or may not be true. But you see, that's the type of refuge that Ruth, this Moabite, this Israelite, this foreigner, was seeking from the God of Israel. She was seeking protection from the enemies, from the elements, from the predators, from judgment. And that's why Boaz said to her, you have come. I know why you've come. You've left family. You've left your parents, you left your home to be here, a refugee. Why? Because you've come to seek refuge under the wings of God. And you know what's beautiful about this passage? You see, it's not just a beautiful story, but it's in fact part of the bigger story of God we see in the rest of the Bible. Because what we're given in this story is really just a little hint, a little hint of the refuge that God will eventually provide for all who come to him, to all foreigners, not just the Israelites, to all refugees, not just the Jews, to all who will turn to this God for refuge. Because this is just a little glimpse of the bigger story of God. And we know what happened, don't we? 
We know the rest of the Bible. We know what happened, don't we? Is it one day in the very descendant of Ruth, God will provide that refuge for all who turn to him. God will provide that refuge in his very own son, Jesus Christ. You see, one day on a hill, Jesus, the son of God, spreads out his wings in a sense, spreads out his hands, providing shelter, providing refuge for all who would come to him for safety, for all who would trust in him. And so as Jesus spread out his wings, his hands, he shielded those who trusted in him from the judgment of God, from the fire that would burn. He suffered. He died. He experienced cosmic agony and pain, burnt like that mother bird protecting the young to keep us safe. You see, amongst all the blessings we experience in life, that is the biggest one. That is the biggest one, to take refuge in the Son of God, protected in not just this life, but the life to come. That is the biggest blessing that God has for us. And so Toza, the late American pastor, he once said this, we must take refuge from God in God. It's interesting, isn't it? We must take refuge from God in God. Or the Apostle Paul, Romans 8. He said, if God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see, not only is there no such thing as luck in life. I don't need it. I do not need luck. I do not need chance. None of those things. Why? Because God is for us. He's not against us. I mean, that is the truth, the resource we all need to live our life with unshakable joy and hope and peace, safe in this life and the life to come. Why? Because of the refuge that God has provided, because of what Jesus has done, God is for us, not against us. And so today, when you come to see that God is sovereign in bringing about his purposes, last week in the messiness, the pains of life, today through all the blessings of life, that God is sovereign, what do you do? Well, you like Naomi, in a sense, need to be wise, wise enough, turn to God as the only refuge there is in this whole universe. Turn to God. That is my plea to you. Turn to God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your great sovereign purposes, in your many blessings to us, you allow us now to see that the great refuge we all need is to be found in you, in your son Jesus, who went to the cross to protect us and to save us from the coming judgment. We pray, Heavenly Father, that our message tonight will ring true in our hearts, help us all to reflect deeply on it and to turn to you as our only refuge. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.